Hello. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back to Our, Our Odd, Odd Pod, Pod Podcast, Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the odd, the macabre, and everything in between. And everything in between. I almost did that part, but I remember how weird it was the one time I did it. I was going to say, don't do that. <laughs> Hold on one second. I need to reposition my microphone. Okay. All right. And <laughs> real quick, before we get started, per uh, spring, summer in Louisiana, we are experiencing some heavy rainfall. So our dogs have once again joined us. Yes, they've joined us in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> also, we've, we're being joined intermittently by very loud thunder. Yes, so if you hear so, anything in the background, that's what's up. And hopefully we can make it through this episode without the power going out. True. So I will be devastated. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, one more thing. Before we get started, all our links you can now find at linktr.ee slash OOPP. That's linktr.ee slash OOPP. Look at you. I know, man. You can find our links to numerous places where podcasts are cast. Such as iTunes, where you can give us five stars and write a review. Mm -hmm. Spotify. Where you can't do that, but you can listen there, and which is, I think it's a good place to listen. It's I like my, Spotify. It's my preferred listening. Um, Podbean, yep. which is our our odd pod podcast.com <laughs> um you can find us on app oh uh amazon amazon music yeah stitcher Our, pandora you can listen to us free on audible i think now really because of the amazon music nice. uh stitcher yeah you said that what else google podcasts Ooh, anyway anyway all Just those places throwing that all out yeah. there we're just just a little humble brag, you know, in yeah. the beginning. We're a, we're a lot of places, you We guys. went from like one place to all the places. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I had a bad day. Yeah? Yep. And you I'm want to talk about it? So excited for this episode. Cuz I have reasons to believe that we are going to talk about cannibals. Nope. Well, then I'm leaving. All right. See you later. Do 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 do. What is that? Is that your leaving music? Yep. All right. See you later. Do, 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 do. Wait, you don't actually leave. You just sing a song. It's like, she's gone. <laughs> That's the power. <laughs> Turns invisible. Podcast magic. Yeah. Podcast magic. So we're not talking about cannibals today. We're not talking about cannibals ever again. Why? Because I'm scared of cannibals. Why? I love cannibals. I'm just kidding. We're talking about cannibals eventually. Today. Eventually. Um, well, you told me this was like an 80% history lesson and 20% macabre, and I am 100% here for it. Yeah, the 20% is like the cannibal part. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, you know how much I love cannibals. Yes. Um. Anyway, I don't really have a good lead into this episode. I just gave you one. Yeah, that, no. Wasn't good? I mean, like a build up to it. It's like, hey, we're talking about cannibals, and then immediately I start not talking about cannibals, you know? Okay, well, what are we talking about? We're talking about forced labor camps in Russia. In not the early... Where, <laughs> not where I thought that this was going. In the early 18th century. Okay. Um, which, wait, maybe... 
No, the early 20th century. Okay, that's, that's the 1900s. That's completely different. <laughs> yeah, the 1900s. Um, they're called gulags. You ever heard of those? The gulag? I want to say I have heard of a gulag. I, I don't think what I have in my head is correct, though. So they're a system of forced labor camps established during the reign of Joseph Stalin. Oh, definitely Maybe you've heard not, of him. not what I had in my head. Uh, the image that I had in my head was like a, a gnome wearing some fancy <laughs> boots or something. Yes, they were guarded exclusively by gnomes in fancy boots. I um, like my image better, but go ahead and ruin it. So basically, they were established while Joseph Stalin was the leader of the Soviet Union. And the word gulag is actually an acronym for a collection of hard-to-pronounce Russian words. Please try. That roughly translated as main camp administration. I didn't try because I just deleted them out of my notes. <laughs> is it because like the backwards K and the weird B? No, it was just like they were, I don't know. It was in our alphabet, but it was a lot. Too many vowels. Usually I'm okay with Russian words and names, but nope. Okay, because you said Georgi just ever so perfectly that one time. Well, I have a friend named Georgi. Touche. Yeah. Well. Geo. You're not listening, but I miss you, buddy. Uh, so these notorious prisons would be home to about 18 million people throughout their history, and they operated from the 1920s until 1953, not long after Stalin's death. 1953? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So at its peak, the Gulag Network included hundreds of labor camps that each held between 2,000 and 10,000 people. Okay. To Why say, are they there again? Uh, Did you say yet? We'll get into that. Okay. Yeah. To say the very least, conditions at the gulag were brutal. Were these kind of like concentration camps? They were very much like concentration camps. Okay. Yes. Prisoners but in were, Russia. But in Russia, and the reason for them was not exactly for people to go there and not die. genocide right um it was more of like we'll get into okay. to why but like okay. i just wanted to make sure i hadn't missed it yet yeah the 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 goal wasn't exactly genocide the result was something akin to genocide but that wasn't necessarily the goal right just so, just kind of like an added bonus so prisoners were often required to work up to 14 hours a day me this was very often done in extreme weather. Me. A lot of prisoners died of... You work inside. It'd be hot sometimes. A lot of prisoners died of starvation, disease... <laughs> Not me. <laughs> ...or exhaustion. Me. And many others were simply executed for what I can only assume were a variety of reasons not deserving execution. Fair. Okay. The atrocities of the gulag system have had a long-lasting impact that still permeates Russian society today. That's okay. interesting because I've never heard of this. Really? Yeah. And the only form I think it's a little overshadowed by the concentration camps. Maybe. And the fact that during that war, the USSR were our allies. So like that time period, Just the bad like things. gloss over that part. We kind of gloss over the bad things they did during that time, you know? Yeah. And then we kind of pick up in the Cold War. I was going to say, and then we'll just like brush them back off during the Cold War. Yeah. Which like by then we've forgotten about all the bad stuff. By the time that started, like there were only like what, like thirteen years of gulag left or something. Gulag. <laughs> anyway, it's not something to laugh at, but I really just like saying gulag. So in 1917, 
After the Russian Revolution, Vladimir Lenin took control of the Soviet Union. When Lenin died of a stroke in 1924, Joseph Stalin seized power and became the new leader of the USSR, which is the Soviet Union. Yep. The Gulag was established in 1919, and two years later, two years later, they already had 84 camps. That is some effective networking there that they did. Thank you. Although the system already existed pre-Stalin, it wasn't until his rule that the prison population began to reach significant numbers. Okay, so from 1929 to 1953, the system went through a time of rapid expansion. Stalin saw the prison camps as an efficient means of boosting industrialization in the Soviet Union and accessing valuable natural resources like timber and coal. So, like, when they were working for these 14-hour days, were they harvesting, like, coal and trees and stuff? Uh, it depends on where they were. Yeah. And, like, like what they needed in that area. But they're trying yeah. to, like, industrialize Russia. They're trying to, like, yeah, um, kind of... Uh, Lead their own industrial revolution. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, they're trying to contribute to the industrialization of Russia. Okay. Through forced labor. So the Gulag would also become a destination for victims of Stalin's Great Purge. Uh And the Great Purge was a campaign to get rid of dissenting members of the Communist Party, or really anyone who challenged the leader. It seems like a pretty good incentive to not speak your mind. You know? Nothing about oppression there. So the first group of prisoners at the Gulag was mostly made up of common criminals and a group of people called Kulaks. Usually call that Louisiana. And I don't know if Kulak was like a derogatory term. I hope not. It's just a term I encountered over and over again when what I was reading about like it. you're like insulting somebody right now? But they were basically prosperous peasants. They're like wealthy peasant farm owners, uh, which seems like an oxymoron, wealthy peasants, right? But they were like the, on the higher end of the peasantry. Well, they were of the peasant class, but they were wealthy because they own their own land. Right. Uh, but they're prosperous peasants that were arrested for revolting against collectivization. Now, collectivization is they took all their farms away from them and divided them up amongst everyone, right, for, yeah. to the, for the state or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they obviously didn't want that because they're wealthy because they own their own land and farms. Yeah. So they revolted. Oh, I said collectivization was a policy enforced by the Soviet government that demanded peasant farmers give up their individual farms and join collective farms. So obviously they did not like that. Big mad. So when the purges began, a wide variety of political prisoners were transported to the Gulag. As I just mentioned, these were opposing members of the Communist Party, military officers, and government officials. Over time, ordinary citizens, doctors, writers, intellects, students, artists, scientists, etc. All of them. Would find their way to the Gulag. Okay. By find their way, I mean would be forcibly relocated. To, right, 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 right. So that's it. That's all I got. <laughs> Just kidding. We missed out on all the cannibal parts. I know, right? It was basically just the cannibalism was a euphemism all along, or not a euphemism, that's the wrong word. It was a symbol all along for uh, I cannibal- Russia <laughs> consuming itself from within. The cannibalism was just a. A lure to get you to sit down. Yeah, to sit down for this history lesson. Okay, I'm here for it. I love a good history lesson. Anyway, 
Anyone who could even remotely be considered anti-Stalinist or viewed as having ties to anti-Stalinist were prime for imprisonment. Even women and children endured the harsh conditions of the camps and unsurprisingly to anyone, equal opportunities. Women faced the threat of rape or assault by oh, male prisoners or even guards. I take it back. Because people are shit. You're going to put a bunch of like criminals with a bunch of like everyday folk and wonder why bad things happen. Right. Some people were even randomly scooped by Stalin's secret police and taken to the prison camps with no trial. Just scooped up? Just scooped up in like vans. They were just like, like having a bad day. Literally kidnapped off the street for allegedly being like anti-Stalinist or whatever. Because Stalin was fucking hyper paranoid, crazy person. Is Stalin the one that is like being preserved? Being preserved? I don't know actually. Like his body? Hold on, I don't look it think up. so. I know the Korean dudes are. Lenin. Lenin. That's the first guy we talked about. His body is being preserved. Okay. It was important for me to know right well, now. Now we know. So, uh, all right. Here's what I need you to do. The top white button closest to me, I want you to just keep your finger there. Okay? Okay. And when I point at you, I want you to push it. But okay. not before I point at you. Okay. okay. So... Prisoners at the camps were forced to work on huge construction, mining, and industrial projects. The type of projects ultimately depended on the camp's location and the needs of the area. Gulag labor crews worked on several big-time Soviet undertakings. These included the Moscow-Volga Canal, the White Sea-Baltic Canal, and the Kolyma Highway. So you could say they really brought the country together. Thank you. That's all. Did that make you happy? Yes. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry. I, I meant push it and let go. You didn't have to hold it. That's why I did this. I wasn't like, you can stop now, peasant. Be gone now, peasant. Off to the gulags with you. Yeah. So thank you for helping. <laughs> um, now I don't have to edit that in. I can just, it's already there. <laughs> My hilarious joke. Anyway, prisoners were provided simple tools with no access to safety equipment. Workers might spend their days cutting down trees or digging at frozen ground with handsaws and pickaxes. Some even had to dig up dirt with their bare hands. That is uh, ineffective and not great. That is not great digging. Thank you. No, not going to do well. Not sure what else I could have contributed to that, but uh, maybe OSHA. Yeah, OSHA probably wouldn't like that very much. Hello, OSHA. Hello, OSHA. You nuisance. But also, thank you. (laughs) The work was often so brutal, prisoners would injure themselves to avoid it. Like? Like what I'm going to do to not go to work tomorrow. (laughs) I'm just going to break my leg. (laughs) Just kidding. Now if I break my leg. Yeah. If I do, I'll have to edit this part out. (laughs) (laughs) Camp prisoners often faced sub-zero temperatures. Because they're in Russia. Siberia. Food was scarce and days were long. And if prisoners didn't complete their work quotas, they received less food. Kind of fucked up, Joseph. Not already getting a lot of food. And now you will get less food. Like, hey, I know you're like half starved, so your work is shit, but we're going to give you less food because your work is shit. Because that's going to help. Right. I just love like the logic of uh, oppressors. 
people in power. Yeah. As you can imagine, living conditions were cold, overcrowded, and unsanitary. Violence among inmates was not uncommon. After all, the population was not only made up of political prisoners and intellectuals, but also actual hardened criminals. Yeah. I imagine like like just like riots all the time. Yeah, right? Yeah, just... Obviously, these people were desperate and would often steal food and supplies from each other. So it was kind of a powder keg, right? Was it like along with like scarce food? Workers would often die from it. Bless you. Workers would often die from exhaustion. <laughs> Others would be physically assaulted or even shot by the camp guards. It's estimated that at least 10% of the gulag's total population was killed each year. Each year? Each year, yeah. I think by the end, it ended up being like 1.5 million people died in the gulag. Oh, my goodness. That's crazy? That's insane. Mm -hmm. That's a 10% each year. 1.8, because like about 8 million people would be prisoners. Collect like yeah, all together. Collectively through like the 85 camps. Yeah. Or more. Yeah. And then 10% of them died. I think that's. Yeah. Ish. Don't ask me to do math on air. Or no, I'm sorry. It wasn't 8 million. It was 18 million <gasps> Collect that were prisoners. Yeah. And then 10%, 10 of that died. would be 1.8 million, I'm pretty sure, or 1.5 million. I can't math on the spot. No, thanks. Can't math on the spot. Not unless there's dice involved. Am I right, Finley? <laughs> she looked. Um, Where's the cannibalism? Hey, we're getting there. Okay. Just want to make sure we're going to get there. The cannibalism is in the gulag. Okay. Eventually. Now, the gulag, or maybe, I don't know. Anyway, now the gulags weren't necessary, necessarily life sentences. Prisoners were given a term of imprisonment, and if they survived, they were allowed to leave. If they survived. Right. Did people actually leave? Yeah. Oh. For example, family members of a suspected traitor might receive a minimum sentence of five to eight years. Minimum sentence five to eight years because they were related to a suspected traitor. Not even a confirmed traitor, right. a suspected one. And they're not even the traitor. They're just related to him. Yeah. If they worked extremely hard and surpassed their quotas, they might even qualify for early release. Oh, early release. Now, one dude we're going to talk about, not right now, but a little bit later, actually survived the gulag. Actually, two people we're going to talk about survived the gulag, and they're very important people in Russian history. Oh, that's good, la. I tried. Anyway. <laughs> In fact, approximately 150,000 to 500,000 people per year were released from the gulag between 1934 and 1953. Now, okay, real quick. You said that mm -hmm. like it was a good thing. Yeah, and it is. However... Maybe they just like didn't go there in the first place. Might have been better. That's true, but you know what? Got to keep that dictatorship afloat somehow. Need a good scapegoat. My, my, my. Luckily for everyone imprisoned at the time, Stalin's successor, Nikita Khrushchev, was a huge critic of the camps, the purges, and basically all of Stalin's policies. He was not about Stalin. Okay. Because he's... Like I mentioned, Stalin was crazy. He was like anti-Stalin. Within days of Stalin's death, millions of prisoners were released from the camps. That makes sense. But the camps didn't disappear completely. Some, more. some were restructured to serve as prisons for criminals, democratic activists, and anti-Soviet nationalists 
during the 1970s and 1980s. So they are basically wow. serving the same purpose, right? Yeah, I mean, just for like a different... Minus the purge, I guess. Anyway, it's like they're restructured to do exactly the same thing that they were doing before. They said restructured is like a fancy... They just put like a fancy word on it. I'm I'm willing to bet they weren't quite as harsh during those times. Yeah. Uh, anyway. In fact, it wasn't until around 1987 that Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev... Yes, that Mikhail Gorbachev. Yeah, that one. Who himself was the grandson of Gulag victims, officially began the process of completely eliminating the prison camps. Gorbachev was like the guy who was in charge when Reagan was the president. Am I supposed to know that? I mean, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall, you know? Oh. You know what I'm talking about? Berlin Wall? Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Um, anyway, he was a little easier to deal with, I think, overall. I'm pretty sure he might have been the last guy before there was no more yeah. Soviet Union. Okay. Anyway, the real deal horrors of the gulag system were not revealed until much later. Much, much later, he wrote. Much, much later. <laughs> before the Still fall. For suspense. <laughs> yeah. Before the fall of the Soviet Union in 1991, state archives were sealed. I wasn't even born yet. Unlike the Holocaust camps in Europe during World War II, no film or images of the gulag camps were available to the public. Really? Really. Are there are they available available to the public now? Yes. However, in 1973, the Gulag Archipelago, how do you say this word? Do you know that word? Archipelago? A R C H I P E L A G O. Oh, I don't. Come look. I don't know. Archipelago? Archipelago? Archipelago. That's the word, isn't it? I've say. heard this word before. Pelago. Archipelago. We'll go with that. However, in 1973, the Gulag Archipelago was published in the West by the Russian historian and Gulag survivor Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Also, why are you asking me how to pronounce something? Because... Am I, like, not known on this podcast as not being able to pronounce a goddamn thing? Obviously, only a few underground copies were available in the Soviet Union at the time, and I can't imagine it was something you wanted to get caught with. Nonetheless, the book was very influential and detailed the atrocities of the gulag system and its impact on the lives of prisoners and their families. This episode is about to be real short. Okay. I'm going to talk slowly. <laughs> Alexander Solzhenitsyn's investigation of the USSR's police state <laughs> was published in the original Russian in Paris. Can you imagine if this is how I talked? I can't even keep up with you. I'm so- really? Am I going too fast? No, too slow. Oh, It provided an uncompromising description of political repression and terror. The book was very quickly translated into a variety of languages and published in the United States just a few short months after its original publication. Nice. The work went into detail about the machinations of the Soviet police state from the time of the Bolshevik Revolution to the death of Stalin. In the preface of the book, the author warned that reading it would be very dangerous for Russians in 1973. It's like he advised Russians to not read it. I think he was just saying, don't get caught reading it. 
The book was important in that it not only revealed, not really revealed so much as maintained that police terror had been essential to the existence of the Soviet state since its inception. Yeah. This was a deviation from standard Soviet propaganda that claimed such terror had only come about during the time of Stalin and disappeared upon his death. The author admitted that political repression eased during the years following Stalin's death. We'll call them the Khrushchev years. In fact, he himself had been freed from political prison during that time. So the guy who wrote this book was in the Gulag. Was in the Gulag. First-hand accounts. I love that. However, he believed that since Khrushchev's was ousted in 1964, the USSR once again began to resort to intimidation and terror. In fact, this disappointment at the reversion of his country to its old ways influenced his decision to allow the publication of his book. Nice. Obviously, the book was an instant success in the West. I was gonna say it's like a. I feel like a lot of people are very interested in like what happens like during like concentration camps, and this is like a almost the not the same thing, but the same thing. Well, really, anything to further demonize the failure of communism in comparison to the infallible glory of capitalism that was, was going to be a bestseller, right? Beautifully written. <laughs> Thank you. However. <laughs> Soviet officials were pissed. I can't imagine why. The official Soviet news agency, because every freestanding uh, government has a state news agency. Is that not what Fox News is? That's what it was anyway. (laughs) The official Soviet news agency declared that the work was an unfounded slander against the Russian people. Slander! On February 12th, 1974, Seoul... Solzhenitsyn, the crazy fucking badass who had been living in Russia this whole time, was arrested. The one that wrote the book? Yeah. Just wait. We're going to... Is it not a smart move on his part? Did they put him back in the gulags? He was stripped of his citizenship and deported. Oh, that's probably like the best thing that could have happened. Best case scenario. Because like they could have just killed him. Right. That's not as bad as I would have expected, nor what he would have gotten if Stalin had still been around, I bet. Stalin wouldn't have been like... Let him know that he was coming. Just like get him while he's like grocery shopping or something. So just to summarize the timeline sort of. Okay. Solzhenitsyn was, he he published this book. Right. He was awarded a Nobel Peace Prize for literature. Yeah. Then he was expelled from the Soviet Union four years later. Then he got in trouble. It's like, they're like, wait a minute. A Russian got the Nobel Peace Prize for what? And then they read the book. They're like, hold up a fucking second. <laughs> hold on one second. Hey, not cool, Alexander. What the hell, Alex? Come Get on. Get him out of here. Get this motherfucker out of here. Not Telling today. secrets. Telling secrets. Anyway, he eventually settled in the United States. It's also not slander if it's true. That's true. He settled in the United States. He refused Gorbachev's offer to reinstate his Soviet citizenship in, 19, in the 1980s. I said, fuck you guys. Eventually, he returned to live in Russia in 1994, and eventually, he died of heart failure in Moscow on August 3rd, 2008, when he was 89. 2008? He was 89? Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. Is he buried anywhere? I'm assuming, somewhere. Oh, you didn't look that up? (laughs) No. I didn't think about it. We'll look it up. I bet Moscow. Anyway, moving on. Wow. Wow. That's literally what it says next. Anyway, moving on. (laughs) It's like I know me. 
Even though the Gulag provided a system of cheap labor, historians pretty much collectively agree that the camps ultimately didn't contribute significantly to the Soviet economy. They believe that the undersupplied and malnourished workers weren't really equipped to provide productive results, you know? Yeah, imagine, imagine that. Imagine, yeah. Overworked, underfed, not very productive. Crazy. It's almost like you need sustenance to I know. It's like be you need, productive. Right, things. it's crazy. It's like they should call that like the hierarchy of needs or something. I don't know. Right, yeah. It, we might be onto something there. I know. We should write that down. Write that down. No one, definitely no one's ever said that before. No one's ever thought of that before. We should send them a note or something. Yeah. You get their email get address? Get science on the line. <laughs> Hello? Science? Hello, is this science? Hello, is this science? Hello, science. Are you there? So the dark history of the gulag has left generations of Russians scarred and damaged. I think we might have mentioned that. Do they? <laughs> casually. Yeah. Do, do they, like, do you know if they teach it or... So just kind of something they don't talk about. I'm not actually sure. Maybe. Or is it like in Germany where if you deny the Holocaust, it'll get you in trouble? I don't know, man. I know they are not about Nazi shit. Like, there was a dude, I remember reading about a guy who got arrested in the park because he taught his dog to, like, do the Siegheil thing. In Germany? Yeah. Yeah, I know. Like they don't fuck around with that. I know. That whenever I was there, our tour director was like, you will get punched in the face and arrested. Yeah. Probably by the cop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, But even today, some survivors are still too fearful to discuss their experiences in the gulag. Well, obviously. I can't imagine. Yeah. We're, we're, eventually, we'll talk about cannibals, hopefully. Stop rushing me. But I like them. Now that you have been suggested subjected to that history lesson. I liked it. It was good. Let's back up a little bit and actually discuss the topic on the table this week. That I don't think it's been brought up until now. <laughs> on March 11th, 1933, 1933, a plan for a very different kind of gulag was presented to Joseph Stalin. It was devised by the heads of Stalin's Secret Service and Soviet gulag system. I am now Two concerned different about what's about to happen. The idea was to resettle two million political undesirables in self-sufficient settlements in Siberia and Kazakhstan. So what happened like during the gulag, there's a point where they had too many fucking prisoners. Because they're really? basically just like, just arrest people for whatever. Like minor, minor crimes, go to the gulag. Like, You're putting people in prison who might be related they were just like rounded the fuck up and all of yeah. a sudden they had like two million people in prison in like moscow or someplace very inconvenient yeah so they're like we need something to do with these people what do we do so the idea was to resettle them in undesirable and other you know self-sufficient settlements in siberia and kazakhstan okay okay the idea was that the settlers would work to bring the untouched hectares of land which apparently is just like a bunch of acres Hundreds of acres, like I guess. Undeveloped land. Is 100 acres a hectare? Anyway, the idea was to bring a lot of acres of land into agricultural production. Right. Ideally, they would be able to, to sustain themselves while helping famine-stricken Russia. Okay. Because, you know. Because Russia's going through it right now. Yeah, they're going through it right now. Stalin's not doing a great job feeding his people. Imagine that. So in May 1933, the first assortment of several thousand political dissidents and petty criminals were loaded up into trains. Their destination was the isolated western Siberian island of Nizino. 
An island? Yes. And this is where our story begins. In Russia? I didn't know. I didn't know in Russia. In Siberia. Had, I didn't know there was islands out there. Yep. Western mm -hmm. Siberian island. So like to the west. I'm, I'm assuming it's like the far west, like well, where the coast imagine. is, right? Yeah, like near, near, <laughs> near Alaska. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's actually, Nazino's actually Alaska. Modern day Alaska. Yeah, can actually, no. they actually have like a bridge. So on May 14th, approximately 5,000 people. In 1933? Uh, yes. Close by? Yeah, 1933. Approximately 5,000 people, just under 400 of them women, set out for Nazino in western Siberia. Nazino was a small, swampy island along the River Ob that existed approximately 800 kilometers north of Tomsk, which I are know exactly apparently places where that, that we're supposed to know where that I is. I know exactly where that is. Anyway, the area was got a cousin out there. sparsely inhabited by the native Ostiak people. In fact, they only visited the island intermittently. This wasn't really surprising because being three kilometers long and 600 meters wide did not allow Nazino to accommodate a large population. You said um, how many kilometers long? Three kilometers. If it takes two kilometers to hatch an egg on Pokemon Go. Just for perspective, five kilometers is three miles. No, I'm sorry. Yeah. Is it? 5K is three miles, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So three kilometers is probably what, like a mile and a half? One egg and a half. Anyway, uh, it, the settlers were placed onto four river barges. Oh, it's an island in a river. So. Oh, that makes more sense. Yeah. A big river. A big old river. <sighs> the settlers were placed onto four river barges and kept below deck. Oh. They were accompanied by two camp commanders and 50 guards who were all newly recruited, untrained, and grossly unprepared for guarding the settlers. I was going to say, that doesn't sound like a... It's not, not great. This was especially true since a third of the prisoners were hardened criminals. <laughs> the remainder of the settlers were unused to hardship and lack of food, so a lot of them were already weak and ill. In fact, by the time the barges reached Nizino on May 18th, 27 people were already dead. Kind of sounds like they made these guards just like sitting ducks for tragedy that's about to happen basically they're scapegoats essentially is probably what they are they're like these people it's like you know who would probably be able to handle this brand new baby guards like you know like lord farquaad and shrek some of you may die yeah and that's a risk i'm willing to take <laughs> <laughs> basically that yeah now when the survivors disembarked the barges it was already beginning to snow I forgot, because we're in Siberia. We're in Siberia. And it's like... It's cold AF. It's Siberia. There was no shelter for the new arrivals. And they haven't been eating. In fact, there was nothing they could even use to construct buildings. Essentially, Nazino's new settlers had been marooned on the island without any tools, supplies, or even cooking utensils. On board the barges, the, de the deportees as they're also called, apparently, <laughs> had been issued 200 grams of bread a day. Now they had nothing but around 4,000 kilograms of flour. However, for the first four days, even this was kept from them. And so, like, they didn't eat for four days. Right. And due to this, and perhaps not surprising at all, about 295 more people died in the first 24 hours. 
Because they already weren't eating. So they're like malnourished. They're starving. They have no shelter. So I read one place that they froze to death, but like it was probably a combination of all of this. I mean, honestly. like if you don't have enough energy to even like, you know. So on the trip, what twenty four people died? In the first day they were on the island, two hundred ninety five people died. But if you like, so like they're already not eating, and they can't even like come up with the energy to just right to shiver probably yeah. right. And then you freeze to death. Yeah. Basically, you put people with no food or shelter in Siberia and they freeze to death. It's like, hypothermia, are, but with extra steps. Like, are we really that surprised? Yeah. When the guards finally decided to distribute the flour. But like, they didn't even give them bread. They right. gave them the stuff to make bread. Right. But didn't give them anything to cook it with. Exactly. We're going to get into that. Sorry. I'm getting mad. So when the guards finally decided to distribute the flour, there were riots obviously, as the starving settlers began to fight for rations. They're just going to start eating the flour. The grossly unprepared guards were, were unable to restore order, so what did they do? They fired shots, they moved the flour to the shore opposite the island while the settlers calmed down. The guards tried to distribute the supplies again the next day, but once again, fights broke out. They're like dangling. Yeah. This opportunity to eat on like a string now, and then yanking sort of like here's some flour they're well, fighting over flour not even like prepared food it's just flour because they're so fucking they're hungry. hungry they're gonna eat the flour yeah i bet it tastes like a piece of bread after that so finally they decided to split this is they had a genius idea wow he said sarcastically this is like five days later none of them have eaten yeah, this Thousands is, have died. That was very sarcastic. This is not a good idea at all that they had. They decided to split the settlers into brigades of 150 people. Wonderful. Which, like, the first step, okay, I guess. You maybe could have done this before. The problem is each brigade would be represented by a brigadier, which is like a leader selected amongst themselves. Oh, dear. I these, can't imagine that going wrong at all. These brigadiers were responsible for collecting the flour and distributing it to their 150 people. Unfortunately, most of these leaders were self-nominated criminals. I was going to say. They took all the flour for themselves, and this selfish act really set the tone for the horrors that were to follow. I mean, and all that stuff leading up to it, obviously. So they were like, hey, I'm in charge. Fuck you. This flour's mine, basically. I'm just going to eat it by the spoonful. But they did, okay, so like, they have flour. Mm-hmm. Did they have anything? Did they bring anything else? Mm -mm. Just flour. Mm -hmm. Do you know how to bring bread? I know how to bake bread with an oven. Sure. Yeah, but like you need more I mean, than like flour. Flour and water. You could fry some bread, but like the problem is we just gonna be out making tortillas. It wasn't long after the settlers arrived on Nazino that Stalin rejected the idea of this type of labor settlement. He was like, "Nah, bruh." But for some reason, on May twenty seventh. An additional 1,200 people joined the original settlers on Nazino. They just didn't care. By this time, any semblance of order had totally shit the bed. Can you imagine, like, those later, the people that showed up later? They're like, what just, the fuck? It's just like a war zone. When I was typing this, I literally thought of that. What was it like arriving? The after? second group to yeah. arrive. Also, um, mm -hmm. we've had people die on the island. What's happening to them? Uh, I can tell you what's happening to them. Well, we'll get to that. Okay. Well, oh dear. Um, so it seemed like death, decay, and chaos had just had sort of taken the reins on this island at this point. Really? 
Remember the settlers? We had it noticed. Remember the settlers that took the flour rations? Yeah. Well, they found that without utensils and bread ovens, there was really no way they could bake bread, turns out. Wow. Desperately, they mixed the flour rations with river water and abruptly contracted dysentery. I was going to say. Uh, it's like the worst game of Oregon Trail ever. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, um, there's no fire to boil the water. Right. Now, bread. a lot of the already weak settlers died from the dysentery. However, they haven't eaten and now they're shitting their brains out. Yes. Sorry, guys. Some managed to avoid the illness. For these, there were really only two choices. The first choice was to escape. So some of the it's more snowing. some of the more able bodied settlers constructed DIY rafts and tried to escape on the river. How do you think this went? Not as well as Jack Sparrow's escape did. There unfortunately were no sea turtles. If you guessed many drowned when the rafts came apart midstream, then you would be correct. Those who survived the water would find themselves hunted for the sport for sport by the guards. For sport. The but, world's most dangerous game. But anyway, but anyone who actually made it across the water was left alone because the terrain was so harsh and the escapees so unprepared. That they were as say, good as dead anyway. They would just die from the elements. Right. It's like on uh, holes. What Can't run hole? away. Can't run away from the camp. Oh, right. I've only seen it one time. It was <gasps> the a long yellow time spotted litters, lizards are going to get you. We've got the only water source for 500 miles. I know it's. I know Shia LaBeouf's in that movie, right? Yeah. I like Shia LaBeouf. He's, he's my kind of crazy. <laughs> uh did you know that? Have you you know he was in a movie with like Brad Pitt and the dude from The Punisher and a couple other people where they were like a crew, a tank crew during World War One or two, no. and he didn't bathe like the whole time because he's like a method actor. Yeah, <laughs> and they were finally like, dude, you got to take a bath. <laughs> you stink. I think he might have pulled his own tooth out too. Okay, now I remember that now. Okay, derailed. Anyway. The second choice was to stay on Nizino and survive at any cost. Murder became more and more frequent as the survivors fought over the rapidly diminishing resources. The guards, unable to control the gangs, left them to their murder. I was going to say, they probably just, why wouldn't you leave? The guards contented themselves with punishing minor offenses amongst weaker individuals. I'm sorry. Why? Why? Because just, I guess, to remind them who was in charge. Was the murder not enough? By the end of the first week, the starving settlers had already turned to cannibalism. Okay. I'm happy we've made it to the cannibalism is... part. But, like, you're talking and it, you make it sound like it's been, like, a couple of weeks. No, they departed on May 13th. Yeah, but, like, then you realize it's only been seven days. Yeah, it's been, like, maybe by the end of the story, maybe two weeks. You've yeah. got criminals eating spoonfuls of flour hoping to stay alive. They got dysentery. People are pooping everywhere and now they're eating everybody. Yeah. So the first signs were actually discovered by health officers who found five corpses with body parts missing. And hold on, I had a snippet. Give me a second. I didn't include it in body my notes. Body parts missing. But I wanted to talk about but it. But they're also just eating. So on May 25th, a camp doctor noticed the first signs of cannibalism dead bodies, and missing limbs. The prisoners had been there for one week. 
when he reported but they it, already hadn't eaten for a week when they yeah when he reported it to his superiors in tomsk he was ordered to ignore it they were only prisoners after all the ussr's undesirables nobody would care what happened to them they're also eating it raw yeah i mean somebody had to know how to build a fucking fire right it's snowing that's fair they have nothing except for flour. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Perhaps the most chilling account of cannibalism comes from a testimony made in 1989 by an elderly Ostiak woman. A testimony from somebody from the island. Somebody, one of the like local people that lived near the island. Oh, thank God. In 1933, when she was 13 years old, she was visiting Nazino with her family. They did this every year to collect bark from poplar trees. Not anymore, they don't. Typically, Nazino was empty. However, this year they found the island was very populated by people. <laughs> it was very different. <laughs> doing the most inhumane things. The elderly witness described how the lover of one of the camp guards named Kostya was attacked while he was away. And I quote, People caught the girl tied her to a poplar tree, oh my God. cut off her breasts, her muscles, everything they could eat, everything, everything. They were hungry. They had to eat. When Kostya came back, she was still alive. He <gasps> tried to save her, but she had lost too much blood. She was alive? So one surviving prisoner stated when interviewed about eating human meat years later, No, that is not true. I only ate livers and hearts. It was very simple. Just like shashik, shashlik, which I assume is some kind of food. We made skewers from willow branches, cut it into pieces, stuck it on the skewers, and roasted it over the campfire. I picked those who were not quite living, but not yet quite dead. It was obvious that they were about to go, that in a day or two they'd give up. So it was easier for them that way. Now, quickly, without suffering for another two or three days. I have no words. In early June, the authorities dissolved the settlement of on Nazino. After less than a month on the island, just under 4,000 people had died. Less than a month on the island, just under 4,000 people had died. It's just an island full of bodies. The approximately 2,000 prisoners who survived were moved to other settlements upriver. Meanwhile, the Soviet government held a swift and covert inquiry into the events on Nazino. Other than imprisoning several of the surviving guards, the authorities swept the whole thing under the rug. However, with the advent of glass, glasnost, this is the policy or practice of more open consultative government and wider dissemination of information initiated by leader Mikhail Gorbachev in 1988, the details of the tragedy became publicly available for the first time. However, the Ostiak people around Nazino never forgot the terrible events of summer 1933. To them, Nazino was and always will be Death Island. Well. See, 80% history, 20% macabre. That was a very intense 20%. Yeah. Ooh. Pretty intense. I prefer consensual cannibalism. Yeah, I, I like that a lot more. That was insane. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm going to be like reeling from that for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was pretty nuts. Like, remember when you gave me nightmares? 
Yeah, nightmares, huh? Just that last 20% going to give you nightmares? That was a... That was a doozy, man. You know what makes it scarier to me is that even if you're not a person who's actively dying or a cannibal, you're stuck on a tiny island with a bunch of with people a bunch who of are people. eating each other. <laughs> with a bunch of people who apparently <laughs> cannibalism is not the line that they curve. Now, there is a documentary on Amazon Prime called Cannibal Island that talks about this event. My next question was, how did you find this? I found it because I saw the documentary on Amazon Prime. I saw the title and I was like, what the hell is this? Have you watched it? I haven't watched it. Oh. And I looked it up. I should have watched it, but I kind of ran out of time. Um, I looked it up and I was like, oh, we got to talk about this. Oh, yeah. Now, it might have been a better episode had I watched the <laughs> documentary beforehand, but you do what you can. I wrote this last night. So. No, you did wonderful. Life got to be too much for me this week. And I appreciate you taking one for the team. It's okay. It was my turn anyway, kind of. <laughs> We do what we want. But it's that's our, all I got. Show. No, yeah, that was our show. Great. We do what the fuck we want. Stop judging us. That was great. No, I loved it. I hope you guys loved it too. Me too. The first part, probably admittedly, was probably a little dry, but I love history. So. I don't know. History is like, um, like, like I tuned in for the odd, offer. the macabre, and everything in between, and I get fucking a history lesson about the evils of Joseph Stalin that somehow still take shots at uh, capitalism. I don't get it. I'm confused. No, I did. Yeah, no, I loved it. Um, yeah. Well, great, well, wonderful. Thanks for listening. Just yeah. under an hour, not too shabs. Hey, no. Uh, I don't really have anything else other than if you like our intro and outro music, you can go to DarrenCurtisMusic.com yeah. and find his collection of music that he has created for the rest of us. Yeah. Yeah. Great guy. Yeah. Great guy, great music. I said nothing but good things to say about that dude. All right. All right, uh, unless you have anything. I've got nothing. All right, well, as always, we are the Boneses. Yeah. And we We are are out. out.